Welcome to Scoop with Steve Football. Hey, happy Wednesday, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Scoop Steve Football, where I am kicking off my NFL Division preview series with the AFC South. Uh, so for those of you who don't know me, I'm Stephen Clinton, an NFL film junkie slash data scientist who uses his film observations to inform a machine learning model that spits out NFL game projections and fantasy statistics. Uh, we'll be looking at some of the output from the model today on a team level, uh, but if you are interested in getting signed up for the Scoop Steve Football Fantasy Football Draft Package, you can check that out over at Scoop Steve football.com uh the model and the associated content are getting updated multiple times each week and will continue to be updated throughout the uh, regular season for dfs uh so in it, whether you play season long or uh, fantasy uh dfs or both uh, i've got you covered so uh yeah, as i say you can check that out at scubastifootball.com so uh all right let's get into the afc south so i'm going to work from a bottom uh of my uh projection in terms of expected wins to the top and that means we start with the houston texans here so um if you're watching on YouTube, you'll be able to uh, see this on the screen here. But, uh, you know, if not, I'll read this off for you. I, I won't go through the exact uh, points for and, and points against projected for the Houston Texans. But I'll, I'll let you know that uh, I've got, my model has them uh, favored to win three games this year and uh, expected to win 6.81 games. And re really quickly, the difference between those two things is, you know, from time to time, you see, some, uh, you know, an article that says that, oh, model or Vegas, you know, projects a team to go undefeated when it actually just says that it has the team favored to win every game. And the reason those two things are different is that just because you have a team favored by one point does not mean that you expect them to win the game 100% of the time, right? You're, you're saying it's, you know, fairly close to a coin flip in that situation. So the way I get this expected wins number is I just take the points for and the points against from each single game projection in the model, right? Which I've got the games favored from that. I take those, put them into the Pythagorean expectation formula, which uh, if you haven't heard about that, uh, easy thing to read about, but um, it just looks at, you know, the, the number of uh, games you would expect a team to win uh, given a points for and points against, and it gives me that expected wins number of 6.81. So you, I can use those two numbers to look at this against a uh, season win total, um, and, and I'm looking at numbers uh, from DraftKings here, and so the Houston Texans are uh, at, at six and a half wins, and um, uh, plus 110 for the over and minus 130 for the under. So fairly consistent with what um, my model projects there in terms of, uh, you know, the game's favorite and the expected wins straddle the six and a half. The expected wins is the one that you look at a little bit more and, and that's right in line. So, you know, this uh, I will talk about a couple of bets um, in the division that I, I, I am interested in, but uh, the Houston Texans are one I'm going to pass on. But let's, let's just talk about uh, where, where the Houston uh, Texans are real quickly. And I've got a couple categories I want to hit for each team. So uh, in terms of the roster building status and, and the roster building assessment for the Houston Texans going into 2023. I, th I think that you're in a ground up rebuild, right? Uh, you know, really honestly burn the, the whole thing to the ground, I, I think you could say. And, and we're left with, you know, maybe two foundation stones in, in Laramie Tunzel and, and Titus Howard in the, in the tackle tandem in terms of guys that, that have been held over here. So, um, you know, it, it, it's from scratch, but, um, you know, in terms of the assessment, I, I think that the, the foundation is, is on track to be really solid um, in Houston. And, you know, obviously the Texans endured a really long, like kind of nuclear winter. And, you know, even before the whole Deshaun Watson situation um, started up, you know, Bill O'Brien had just 
not done a great job with the uh with the uh resource allocation of of this uh of his roster building resources um we all know are familiar with that story the trading DeAndre Hopkins for David Johnson and pennies on the dollar all, all the different things that precipitated the uh Texans ultimately getting off to that terrible start to the season and firing Bill O'Brien uh before they even you know saw things through with the roster he had assembled there so you know th- the Texans were heading for uh hard times as it was and, th- and then the whole Watson situation complicated things enormously obviously and um in in any case you know Nick Casario um you know the the one payoff at, at least with Watson is that because Nick Casario was so patient about it he was able to get a king's ransom to start rebuilding this team uh once it had been burned down to the studs and they're they're in the process of doing that right and that's where you know just just briefly touching on the decision to, to trade up for Will Anderson which you know when um you know, in a vacuum and, and looking at the trade value and everything like that, that is not a good move to make, right? And and most of the time I would just be against it. But when you look at where Houston has been for the past couple of years, where they've just been playing with such a borderline NFL talent roster, it's it's just been a really rough situation. Yeah, they've won some games here and there, but it's been, you know, they just have, have been you know, borderline non-competitive a lot of the time. And I think that, you know, in in terms of, you know, sparking this rebuild and, and Nick Casario finally getting to build this thing out with, with some actual resources, I, I think that they needed a culture change so badly that it, it was worth doing this because, you know, now you bring in D'Amico Ryans as the head coach, you bring in CJ Stroud as your new quarterback with the second overall pick, and you bring in Will Anderson with the third overall pick. And, you know, I'm going to get into a, a film breakdown show later, um, going through some preseason film. And, you know, obviously it's just a couple of drives, but Will Anderson looks the part, you totally understand it. So, you know, I, I think that these are really exciting young pieces to build around. And, um, you know, that leads me into in, in terms of their trajectory. I, I think that, you know, hopefully you win some games this year, right? And, and the young players show promise. But I think that this is a team that in, in terms of the fast track, I don't think it's, you know, out of the question that they're going to be competing for the playoffs in 2024. And then, you know, potentially competing for a championship in 2025. And obviously that's going to hinge on CJ Stroud. But, you know, he got drafted second overall for a reason. Um, Anthony Richardson went fourth and he is freakishly talented. So that says something, right? And, um, you know, so you got to, and you know, if we're not in this to win championships, then why are we here? So um, in terms of the foundation, that leads me to the next category, which is the greatest strength. And I just specifically listed Laramie Tunzel at left tackle. And um, But beyond that, Houston is actually set up to have, I think, a really good offensive line potentially here. Obviously, Laramie Tunzel is an absolute stud, one of the elite players at the position, um, richly deserved a uh, huge contract. And, you know, the, the cool thing with him, too, I know this, uh, my article I link out over to some of his appearances on the Pat McAfee show um, on, um, over the past few months here. And it's just great to hear his attitude and his outlook on all this, because, you know, Laramie Tunzel is not enjoyed um much in the way of success since he was traded from miami to, to houston and kind of the, the straw that broke the, the camel's back in terms of that team not being successful and trading away so many future assets um but he's you know seems excited about the D'Amico ryan's era and ready to be a leader for the team and you know sets them up with you know an elite building block and uh, across from him titus howard who i mentioned earlier currently dealing with the broken hand but got the big contract extension you feel pretty good about them as a tackle tandem i, I know there's you know some others out there that get you know talk as, as the best tackle tandem in the league i, I know that that tandem up in seattle we'll see how how uh charles cross and abe lucas progress um d- didn't do that in preparation for the show though but you know this is a really good tandem in in 
Houston just because you've got an elite player on one side and then, you know, a really solid guy on the other side. And, you know, I don't know, Seattle, I don't know that they have an elite player like Laramie Tunzel between those two and, you know, uh, certainly, you know, solid on both sides. So, yeah, I think Houston's really good at those tackle spots. You look at the guards, Kenyon Green really came along in the back half of last year. There was there was some film in the middle of the season where he had, you know, I, I missed the game. I guess it was against, I think, against the Raiders where he ended up getting kind of tabletopped uh, near the end of the game, had to leave, and then, you know, had some struggles in the middle of the season. Just, you know, as it turns out, you know, when you see the injury on a balky ankle, which, you know, who to guessed, right? Um, but, I, you know, I thought Kenyon Green looks promising down the stretch. They trade for Shaq Mason, the veteran from who's been really good for New England, solid for Tampa Bay. I think that you can expect at least, you know, I mean, at least solid, if not above average to plus. And, you know, at one point, Shaq Mason was, you know, one, one of the elite um, offensive linemen in the league, in, in my opinion. He's an, an interesting body type of the position. You know, at his best, he he almost moved like a twitched up three technique to, to, to me. It, it almost surprised me kind of at, at his very peak in New England. At least that was my take. But, you know, he doesn't quite move it like that at, at this age, but should still be a really steady player. And then to round it out, you got Juice Scruggs at center and, you know, Again, it's not a ton of snaps that you saw in the first week of the preseason, but, you know, G. Scruggs is out there playing against the starters and, you know, it's not like he looked completely out of place. There were a couple of reps I'm sure he'll he'll learn from. Also a couple of reps that I thought were promising. So, you know, I think that Houston could be very good up front and that's, you know, just such a good building block for this team to grow, uh, for Damian Pierce to have even more room to run uh, and, and then Devin Singletary and, and then they'll just continue to build into the future if this all goes well. So um, in terms of potential weakness, uh, it, it's the pass catchers. Um, now, at the same time, you know, you've got a group of young pass catchers here who, you know, um, for um, in reasons related to you know either they haven't played in the nfl in, in the case of john mechie or uh or tank dell tank dell being a rookie and then john mechie coming off the um leukemia um or, or you know i apologize if i've got that type of, of cancer wrong but you know john mechie looking to make an or made an inspired return to the field you know and then i mean gosh he hit you know had a, a route where he was open um you know pressure prevented uh cj stroud from finding him um on the third down but you know they you know at least one route one for john mechie and then you know nico collins who is heading into um, I guess this will be uh, Nico Collins' third season now. Um, and, and, you know, the reality is that Nico Collins just hasn't really had an opportunity to show what he can do because he's been working with below average quarterback play to, to be generous. And, um, you know, Nico Collins, though, he's got length. He's he's got movement skills. Um, he, he actually reminds me a lot of Terrace Marshall out in Carolina in terms of sort of, you know, having the potential to do something, some length, um, being good at, you know, some, you know, kind of thinking these guys is if they can run timing posts. Well, I think that would be a, a a good thing for them with their size and you know a little bit of movement ability to get vertical um so you know we'll see with those guys and, and you've got some veterans in, in in robert woods and you could even throw the name adam humphreys in there who you know they they can provide some guidance but you know they don't have a ton of juice left in the tank so i think that at this point for houston it would be ideal if they can you know they're they're not on the green bay plan where there are only uh, <coughs> uh um excuse me only young players in the mix, but uh, they are, uh, they, they could be on that, that track if, okay, sorry, uh, got my voice back there. Um, They could end up on that track if, uh, if Robert Woods and Adam Humphreys, uh, you know, get beaten out by these young guys. So at least there's, you know, a little bit of a veteran standard, some, some guidance, some mentorship there, but you know, it, it would be ideal for Houston if the uh, young pass catchers end up, you know, not being a weakness. So, you know, I'll say potential weakness. We'll see how things work out for these teams, but um. For the X Factor, I went with a uh, uh, cornerback, Derek Stingley Jr. I mean, 
Stanley Jr., it was so awesome getting to watch him play in the preseason game there. You know, again, not a lot. A lot. And, you know, ironically, one of the reps I loved, he ends up getting his feet tangled um, after releasing on a vertical route and, you know, man turning out of press. And it's just so beautiful. It was so easy for him. And as he's, you know, getting co- completely turned around to, you know, get his head back on everything, he ends up, you know, tripping, um, tangling his feet. But it was just a, a rep that showed off how fluid Derek Stingley Jr. is and, you know, he just looks so comfortable getting up and playing man like that. So, you know, he's going to have the opportunity to do that a lot more than he did last year as a rookie when it, it just got really frustrating to watch him. So I think that, you know, if he emerges and then Will Anderson Jr. looking the part as well, if you suddenly have cornerstones at those two spots on this defense, there's a lot of good pieces on this defense. They brought in some veteran defensive tackles to shore up that position. You know, they're they're solid at safety between Jimmy Ward and then we'll see how Jalen Petrie's tackling develops this year. But, you know, J- Jalen Petrie has the range to be, you know, a, a difference maker in this league at safety. So I think that it's uh, going to be really interesting to see how this defense develops. I think that honestly, they have a little bit more of a ceiling than the offense just because, you know, of, of that lack of explosive pass catchers right now on, on the offensive side of the ball. Um, we'll see. But I, I think that this defense could, I mean, really surprise some folks, especially with D'Amico Ryan's, you know, bringing his uh, his identity to, to the defense as well. So um, projection, as I mentioned, was it was three games favored and, and 6.8 uh, expected wins. So, um, you know, pass on pass on the six and a half uh over under win total i think that if the defense gets going they they could certainly surprise some people and get boosted up um in these rankings so all right um flipping forward we've got the indianapolis colts who you know several teams uh you know changing out quarterbacks in this division and then obviously trevor lawrence is uh, you know only heading into his third year so it's you know such a fresh division down in the afc south but yeah the indianapolis colts um the model has them at, uh, you know, four games favored and, and 7.36 expected wins. So, you know, slightly better than than the Houston Texans, but, you know, not not by a significant margin. And, you know, that that's in line with with the DraftKings win total, which is at six and a half with with the over at plus 100 and, and the under at minus 120. And, and once again, I'm just going to pass on this one. I think that's, you know, more or less where I would have pegged it. What with it being, you know, 7.3 expected wins, but only four games favored, you know, that's, you know, it'd be a little dicey going seven and a half at that point. So, you know, six and a half seems like a pretty solid number there. Um, The Indianapolis Colts, I mean, so their roster building status I have is an engine change. And, you know, if you've seen some of my previous content on how an NFL offense is a car, the quarterback is the engine. Uh, you know, Indy's going to see what happens when you swap out Matt Ryan for uh, for Anthony Richardson here. And, and you know, the assessment is, you know, it, it, they're ready to roll if Anthony Richardson runs. So, you know, I think that this roster that the Colts had assembled under Chris Ballard was really talented, but they needed to have a salary cap reset because, you know, Quentin Nelson, uh, Braden Smith and um and Darius Leonard, their whole draft class had hit that second contract and they're suddenly getting paid, you know, if not at the top of the position, uh near the top of the position. And that totally changes the dynamic, right? So that's where it always would have been tough for them to add Lamar Jackson here because they really needed to get somebody with a surplus value on his rookie contract track at quarterback not somebody who's going to sign you know a, a top of the market deal so bringing in anthony richardson on um, you know we'll see what happens here um you know i haven't gotten into to the colts preseason stuff yet i'm going to watch that uh actually after i i get done with this show so excited for that but you know it, it's not as if that was going to change my outlook on on anthony richardson right i saw enough of his college tape to understand that the freakish ability is there right you know and and i you know like the the little glimpses I've gotten of Bryce Young and CJ Stroud as well, but obviously Anthony Richardson is just a total, totally different type of cat. And that's part of the reason that I have 
the Colts projected to uh, potentially be better on offense out of the gates here is that what he's going to bring as a runner is just such a difference maker in today's NFL. It, it changes the math for everything. And, you know, the, the thing is too, also where I say, you know, that this thing is ready to roll. If Anthony Richardson runs uh, for greatest strength for the Indianapolis Colts, I have offensive line with a question mark and, you know, they, they do need to bounce back from really, I mean, especially out of the gates, the Colts offensive line was rough last year and they had trouble figuring some things out, but, but, by the time they were down the stretch, I, I thought things looked so much better. Uh, you can get into some of the details of that in my uh, uh, preseason article on the Indianapolis Colts, where that was kind of the focus that the rumors of uh, Quentin Nelson's demise were greatly exaggerated. And, you know, I don't know that Quentin's, um, you know, quite been the same player since that foot injury. So the last two years, really. Um, but but the, the end of last season, he was playing, you know, at a very high level again. I mean, I loved watching his battle with Cam Hayward late in the season. I thought that, you know, that was just, I mean, uh, interior offense or, or interior line play at its finest on both sides. You know, that was a blast. And, you know, uh, I'm going to get into the X factor uh, being, you know, Bernard Raymond here in a minute, as well as Nelson and uh, Ryan Kelly, really. But, you know, that side of the line could be very good in Indianapolis. The right guard spot is definitely uh, still a question mark, but with Braden Smith as a solid player at right tackle and Richardson, you know, hopefully making this a very offensive line friendly offensive system, which, you know, quarterback run threat tends to do that. I think that they're going to be all right at right guard. So, you know, we'll, we'll see how that all works out. Um, you know, it, it kind of could throw, you know, uh, a strength on the wide receivers potentially with a question mark in, in terms of Michael Pittman Jr. And, and, um, Oh my gosh, I'm forgetting the kid out of Cincinnati, uh, Alec Pierce. Um, on the outside, you know, again, we just talked about, um, you know, Nico Collins and Houston not having a chance to show what he could do. Yeah, Michael Pittman Jr. and Alec Pierce were in the same boat last year, so I'm really interested to see how they uh, they perform uh, for Anthony Richardson, along with you know drafting Josh Downs. If they can get somebody who's got you know, even more juice out of the thought. I mean, that would be pretty impressive. So uh, in terms of potential weakness for the Indianapolis Colts and, and the reason that frankly, that they're not further ahead of the the Texans, because I do have them like a, a good notch above them, just in terms of early potential with Anthony Richardson at quarterback versus what I expect the development curve to be for CJ Shrub. Um, potential weakness though is pass rush and pass coverage. Um, I mean, the Colts currently list uh, Daryl Baker Jr. and Dallas Flowers as their starting outside cornerbacks, which, you know, um, I don't know who either of those players are. And I spend w way too much time um, for, uh, you know, for any sane person on this. So I certainly will know who those players are. But I mean, I was just looking that up again to see how it's going in camp. Kind of knew it was going to be a toss up going into camp. And, you know, that's that's troubling on the outside. Right. You know, that that's tough to deal with, especially when you're going to have to be dealing with Calvin Ridley down in Jacksonville. But um, and, and then you throw in the pass rush as well. I mean, DeForest Buckner is still a stud in the middle, but at the same time. I think he's probably had his best seasons. Um, you know, not that he's not still an effective player, but I think the peaks behind him, right. He's getting older. The injuries have, you know, um, started to pile up a little bit. So, you know, not that he's not still a great player, not a great, not an impact player, but most of the bets Indianapolis has made around him has, have not, have not paid off to the level they would like them to like, you know, could pay is a fine player, but yeah, you know, I don't think that's, you know, obviously Indianapolis was hoping for more out of him when they took him in, in the first round. So, you know, that he could certainly blossom this year a little bit, but uh, right now those are the big concerns for me with the Indianapolis Colts. And then, you know, as the X factor, uh, you know, I, I put the, the that whole left side of the line with Bernard Raymond, Quentin Nelson, Ryan Kelly. And, you know, when the Colts were really at their peak, especially that Andrew Luck year, um, 
you know, with Anthony Costanzo at left tackle, who was, you know, very steady, if not dominant. Um, and, and then uh, Quentin Nelson and Ryan Kelly were probably the, the best left guard center tandem in the NFL that year. And so, you know, can, can Quentin Nelson and Ryan Kelly get back to that level? And then, you know, can Bernard Raymond, who showed a lot of promise down the stretch uh, last season, and, you know, still has a ton of room for improvement. It, it, you know, it sounds like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth there, right? Um, but, you know, I think that as, as well as Raymond was playing down the stretch, and, you know, I'd say, you know, I'm not trying to say he was playing at an all pro level. I just thought he was capable. Like he, he was playing left tackle and it wasn't a reason the offense was not able to move. Right. So that, you know, that's kind of the first checkbox, right. On the O-line, are you the reason we're not moving? <laughs> and if, you know, if you are playing and, you know, it's working all right, then that, that's a start. Now, Raymond, I think it's his hand usage starts to get better and better. Um, You know, that he's got a really high ceiling. You know, you think, I think in particular of a pass rush rep that uh, Dallas has Demarcus Lawrence had on him um, later in the season where he, you know, just shot both hands in really late and, and put Raymond on his back. But Raymond's going to learn from that. And now he gets another full offseason after getting all those snaps in the NFL to keep improving. You know, this is a guy who was playing tight end at Central Michigan. So I think that the arrow is up on Bernard Raymond. And, uh, you know, we'll see if the Colts can get back to having that really dominant left side of the O-line and uh you know as I mentioned really solid player at right tackle so that would be a heck of a line in front of Anthony Richardson so so yeah the projection have them at four games favored and, and 7.36 wins um you know and uh yeah, again, a pass on on the bets there. So move on to the uh, the third team, uh, the the Tennessee Titans here. And uh, so I've got the Titans uh, favored to win six games, and and their expected wins at eight point one eight. And uh, you know I've got the division ranks here, but I also have where I have these teams overall in the NFL. And and just as a reference point, I've got Tennessee at eighteen and expected wins, uh, Indianapolis at twenty five, and Houston at twenty eight. So really a pretty uh, t- uh, top heavy division to say the least. You know half the teams in the in the bottom half of the league's projections um but you know we'll see um i'll you know you can guarantee i'll be wrong about at least a couple teams this year I, that seems to be inescapable but uh you know we'll see we'll see hopefully uh few, fewer than some other years right um, and anyway uh with, with the tennessee titans um you know I think that the roster building status I've got for them is, is they're trying to be in the competitive transition. So I've got competitive transition with a question mark. And then uh, for the the roster building assessment I've got is Will Levis uh, parentheses or Malik Willis, the future quarterback. And, you know, just a, a quick note on that. I think everybody uh, follows the NFL is is aware that you know the the Titans traded up to draft Will Levis uh, in the in the near the top of the second round um, in this year's NFL draft. So it, it's looking like this is going to be the the last hurrah for Ryan Tannehill and uh, Derrick Henry in in Tennessee. Um, and maybe I shouldn't assume that that's such common knowledge, but um, that does appear to be the case. But you know, I, I um wanted to throw in Malik Willis's name there because I, I did get a chance to watch Tennessee's uh, first preseason game. And, you know, I thought Malik Willis showed a lot of progress. Um, You know, in particular, there was one RPO bang eight that he threw that it was just such a relief to see him throw the ball because there were times where last year he wasn't executing that. And, you know, that's, I'm not suggesting he's Tom Brady all of a sudden, but we're looking for progress, right? And everybody knew Malik Willis was going to be a project coming out and, there were actually a couple of different instances where he did things that surprised me uh, relative to where he had been uh, last year. There was there was another concept where uh, they they were working a hitch dig concept to one side of the field and he, you know, waited it out and hit the the dig route as it it, it hit and cleared into a window and he put the ball right where the receiver needed it to, to run after the catch. So, you know, I, I think that Malik Willis, you know the rookie year was tough and, and obviously, you know, he had a long ways to go and he wasn't ready to play last year, but at the same time, 
you can still see all the talent there. I mean, he throws the ball so easily, he generates so much velocity. And, you know, again, I don't know where he's going to be in, you know, six months, a year, um, but he clearly is, has made progress in the past 12 months. So, you know, always a positive to be on the upward trajectory, if nothing else, right? And then, you know, in terms of Will Levis, we'll kind of see, um, you know, he, he's got a, a ways to go in terms of just his timing and rhythm. But, you know, first preseason game, we saw, you know, all sorts of struggles from different guys, you know, CJ Strouds, you know, had some, some struggles of his own and, you know, you're really just looking for some resilience there, right? You know, CJ Stroud, actually one play I liked from him was, you know, he's, he'd thrown that interception already and, you know, just some things that weren't great. And, you know, he was doing the naked boot week and he almost tripped on himself, but he got it, you know, got his balance back and then he got his eyes back up and he completed the pass. And it was just like, all right, cool. Like, you know, He's not too rattled here. You know, he's had a couple of bad plays, but, you know, he's continuing on here. And, you know, Will Lovis, you know, I thought that, you know, there were a couple of throws that, you know, could have been improved upon. You know, he had the sale route to, I want to say it might have been Racy McMath and into cover two, where, you know, he did a great job of identifying the correct route, getting it to the guy, completing the pass, but the ball definitely, you know, was left behind his man. And I'm sure he, he'd like to improve on that. So, you know, we'll, we'll see with Will Lovis. He definitely moves around pretty well, he, you know quick release you know get some get some juice on the ball so you know i'm i'm excited to see more of him moving forward so you know that's really going to be you know um at the end of the day you know if tennessee is on a good track it's because one of those two guys is going to be their guy moving forward and and if not then they're really in some dire straits here because they uh have you know are not in a position to tank right here they're not in a position to be at the top of the draft and uh you know they they by trying to keep this a competitive rebuild that they've been giving up some other things right you know that's just kind of the the, the way it works in the nfl so getting into the 2023 titans uh the greatest strength uh I, defensive line i mean you got jeffrey simmons who's just a, a pure blue chipper at as a disruptive interior defensive tackle three technique uh he, he pairs up with tier tart who's just a really strong presence on the nose uh it's funny they play in the same division as the colts just because they remind me a lot of um the deforest buckner and uh grover stewart pairing in terms of roles um on the interior d-line now stylistically uh jeffrey simmons is is different than deforest buckner because i mean everybody's different than DeForest Buckner, but in terms of roles, like they, they do compare pretty favorably. And then you throw in, you know, Danico Autry and what he's able to bring on the edge and, you know, just the ability for Tennessee to kind of live in, in a nickel package uh, because of that big defensive end. I think that's something that you saw from the saints originally. And then, you know, you've seen it spread throughout the league, but if you want to live in that kind of big nickel, look, having that big defensive end who can really control uh, that is a big deal. And Danico Autry does that really well. Also an effective rusher when he reduces down. So hopefully he has, you know, more more healthier season because last year was not the best season in that regard. And then we'll see, you know, Harold Landry coming off the ACL. Um, if he's back and him and Arden Key, I mean, that's, uh, you know, five good defensive linemen there. And then, then, you know, maybe take Tart out of the mix as a pass rusher in your four-man pass rush package just because that might not be exactly his game. Not that he can't, you know, be involved, but, you know, I might go with those other four because, man, Jeffrey Simmons and, um, and, um, Gosh, oh my God, what, what am I? Um, Jeffrey Simmons and Nico Autry on the inside uh, with Harold Landry and uh, and Arden Key on the outside and some versatility there with how you can move around, especially Arden Key and and um and Danico Autry. I mean, that's a heck of a four-man pass rush package for Tennessee. Um, potential weakness for the, the Tennessee Titans, uh, I don't think this one will surprise anybody, but offensive tackle. I mean, Nicholas Petit-Frere. Uh, did not exactly set the world on fire as a third round pick last year, but uh, he did, I think, start every game and check that. But, you know, 
started the, the it was the primary starter at right tackle and you know he was passable um and so it doesn't help anything that he's suspended to start the season he signed Andre Dillard uh, from the Eagles in free agency. Uh, it appears based on the, the early looks from the preseason film that he brought his issues anchoring against bull rushes with him uh, to Tennessee. So I don't think that they're going to be great at left tackle with Andre Dillard. Uh, we'll see if they can get by. Um, and, and right now they're looking to be starting uh, Chris Hubbard, who, you know, gosh, he, he ended up being the swing tackle and a backup in Cleveland for it feels like three or four years after he initially left Pittsburgh and went there to try to be the starter in Cleveland and, and flamed out pretty quickly um, in that role. But, um, you know, he, he comes over to Tennessee and he's slated to be the starting right tackle. So, you know, he, he should, you know, maybe Chris Hubbard's passable for the, for the first few weeks of the season, he is getting older. So hopefully he can, you know, be healthy till petite for his back. But, you know, I think it's going to be, if he play, you know, you can kind of say that the Titans of, you know, if, if the Titans of 2019 to 2021 ish were defined by the Derrick Henry run game and being so physical up front, uh, the Titans of 2022 and 2021 to a certain degree were defined by the fact that they had to chip so much when they had were in, in the drop back pass game. It's just tough to do a lot on offense with that. So. You know, the, the X factor I put is Peter Skaronsky at left guard. You know, as I mentioned, when when they were really rolling in Tennessee, I mean, yeah, Derrick Henry was the most physical running back in the league, but Roger Saffold and uh, Taylor Lewan at left guard and left tackle might have been the most physical run blocking tandem in the league as well. So it was a it was a physical offense altogether. It wasn't just Derrick Henry, right? And, you know, now you're playing, uh, you know, Aaron Brewer, I was looking this up, he's listed at 6'1 and 275 pounds on the team website, which just doesn't seem real. And he doesn't move like Jason Kelsey, right. To make up for that. And even Jason Kelsey is bigger than 275 pounds, I think. So, you know, I think that maybe if Skaronsky is, you know, exceeds all expectations to, well, you know, I don't know about that. He was drafted 11th overall, but let's just say Skaronsky is Zach Martin out of the gate. Um, <laughs> Maybe that's the expectation with where he was drafted. Then maybe that changes this a little bit. Maybe he's like Quentin Nelson and he brings a little bit of that war daddy mentality and, and changes things around along the offensive line. But I just can't quite see it. And it's just tough to see them really operating this Derrick Henry uh, heavy unit um, with, with Skaronsky at left guard. So, you know, I, I'm, um, the model has them at, at six games favored in 8.18 wins, but the tough thing with Tennessee is, you know, I'm projecting right now, you know, the Ryan Tannenhill, DeAndre Hopkins, both on the team version of the Titans. And I think there's a very real possibility that given my rather modest expectations for them, even with those players who could either be traded or, you know, in Tannenhill's case, just, you know, move to the bench if there's no where to trade him um to, to let the young guys get some regular season experience then my expectations for the titans would go down um a good a good bit um you know they would be you know right down there with with the with the uh colts and the texans in terms of their expected wins so i'm going to take the under on on the uh tennessee Titans seven and a half uh plus 105 there so you know that's uh one one that i i would look out for so you know i i think that the Titans, they're trying to thread a really, really narrow eyelet. And it just, you know, again, based on seeing how Dillard looked in his first action, it doesn't look like he's a demonstrably play, different player, which, you know, wasn't necessarily expecting that. But, you know, when you're talking best case scenario, that was kind of what needed to happen. So take the under for the Titans. And, um, you know, it's really these three teams are, are pretty tightly clustered, in my opinion, in, in the AFC South. Um, 
All right. And that uh, brings us to the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars. So I've got to top this division. So uh, roster building status for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Oh, and before I start uh, for the listening audience, uh, we've got uh, 12 games favored for the Jacksonville Jaguars this year and uh, 9.58 expected wins. So that is a I mean, bang on with their their win total of nine and a half on DraftKings with with an over of minus 140 and an under a plus 120, right? With with the odds leaning towards the over, the game favored leaning towards the over here. Um, so with with Jacksonville, um, you know, I've got them as the uh, the ninth ranked team overall in expected wins uh, as well, which is important because as we're about to talk about with their roster building status, uh, Jacksonville is uh, on the cusp of championship contention. And uh, in terms of the assessment of where they're at with that, I think I think they're bang on course. It, it may be a year away now, but um, I think that you saw the turnaround with Doug Peterson and Trevor Lawrence in, in the back half of last year. I mean, uh, let me see, I have it there. Um, well, gosh, I think they were three and seven heading into the bye week. I don't uh, have, have that note with me uh, right here and then you know they rebound to to finish and you know i think go six and one to, to win the division and then you know have the spectacular comeback win against the chargers in the playoffs uh before they fall to the eventual super bowl champion kansas city chiefs and you know i think it was just a tremendously positive season in all regards last year for the jacksonville jaguars um just total 180 from you know uh when urban meyer was running the banana republic down there so you know in terms of um so I think I think they're on course here. I don't know if the roster is quite where it needs to be right now. You know, the Trayvon Walker pick, we'll get to that in a minute. But I, I think in terms of their, their long-term outlook and, and are they going to be competing for a championship in this, you know, one to two to five year window to come. I think I think the answer to that is is probably yes. So I think that's all all positive. So the greatest strength for this team I've got is the quarterback and, and the skill player. So Trevor Lawrence, you know, uh, you can go check out my thoughts on him in my preseason article because I got really deep into it. Just how I was probably you know so too harsh on him just because I thought he was going to be you know an Andrew Luck clone coming out, and he's just not quite that. But he is just so freaking good from the pocket, and you know just in terms of you know yeah he's got the the athleticism to pick up first downs and everything like that but that's not really how he wants to operate like you know i, I love the tennessee game where he just shredded them through the, the air and um you know i think he ran the ball three times he did get a touchdown but you know ran the ball three times in that game so you know it, uh, trevor lawrence has just such high-end arm talent he sees the field well i mean he understands what he, he's processing out there he buys time he can make second reaction plays and then he can just you know really attack downfield so you know I, his, his ability to carve the ball is really impressive and you know getting to the skill players that's where this gets really exciting for the jacksonville jaguars and the reason that you're, i'm so high on them and that's that they're adding calvin ridley on the outside and you know calvin ridley um i mean gosh you know he was playing with with julio jones before julio jones had really declined in in atlanta for the bulk of his career there and they were such a devastating duo on the outside for matt ryan there and you know calvin ridley you know it, it, his signature route i think you would say is about that 18 to 20 yard out out route and you know matt ryan would get that done with timing trevor lawrence you know he can, he'll get it done with timing as well but he's got the arm power to do it at a different level so I really expect them to, you know, be an unbelievable tandem uh, with one another. And then you throw in the fact that, you know, Christian Kirk, uh, you know, was kind of in that thrust into that one role last year. Now he's in a more comfortable role. Him and Evan Ingram give you two really different flavors out of the slot, two really good players there. Travis ATN in terms of skill players. I, I mean, I absolutely love watching Travis ATN play. He is just so quick, so smooth. I mean, he is just, you know. Uh, just a Ferrari out there. So, you know, the irony of the fact that Urban Meyer came out publicly and said that he 
didn't want Travis Etienne and they won Kadarius Tony. I mean, it's just it, the, the gift that just keeps on giving, right? I mean, Kadarius Tony is not even on my fantasy draft board anymore because, you know, I he appears to be on the Percy Harvin availability plan. So somebody else can sign up for that as spectacular as the flashes are for Kadarius Tony. Um, I would uh, rather have, uh, well, certainly Travis Etienne. So, um, it, you know, in, in terms of potential weakness for the Jacksonville Jaguars, uh, yeah, I, I wrote everything else. And um, this is a that's a bit of an over-exaggeration. Obviously, um, Tyson Campbell is an absolute stud at cornerback. Um, Brandon Scherf, uh, really studying presence at right guard, even that, you know, he's had a number of injuries over the years. I'm not sure that he's quite as dominant as he was at his peak, but he's still, you know, a veteran who, you know, is generally getting the job done. And then, you know, rookie center Luke Fortner took every single snap. So, you know, that's a huge positive to have that center position shored up. So, you know, but, but that said, you know, the, the Jaguars are have left tackle Cam Robinson out with the suspension to begin the season. Walker little, I think has shown he can be passable so far, but he has not shown he's about to be like a, a top level NFL starter. He's filling in left tackle. Um, and then we'll, we'll talk about my X factor in, in a minute, but you know, we've got a rookie at the right tackle position and then, you know, the left guard position is also in flux. So number of questions along the offensive line. Unfortunately, um, they have a, a great skill group around them to study things out because on defense, there's a ton of questions and uh, just Tyson Campbell is really the the one sure thing almost in, in my book. And, you know, sure, I, I think you're going to get, you know, solid safety play out of Rayshon Jenkins, but, you know, nothing game changing. And, you know, kind of the same goes for the rest of the defensive backfield. You got to hope that that uh, last year's first round uh, selections in Devin Lloyd at linebacker and then Trayvon Walker at edge rusher, you know take a big step forward and and you know in terms of that happening Devin Lloyd I think it's you know a clearer path to that happening because he did play you know really well for stretches of the season um so you know we'll kind of see what happens with Devin Lloyd but he does have a lot of ability so I you know I, I'm optimistic about what he'll look like uh going into his rookie year because there were flash or going into his second year because there were flashes in his rookie year uh Trayvon Walker is going to be interesting um reminds me so much of Rashawn Gary so yeah, I've been thinking about that actually a, a good bit today, and you know, just where right right off the bat, like I remember watching Trayvon Walker in his first game, and you kind of saw oh all the obvious things in, in terms of the height, weight, speed, why he won as high as he did, and then you know from there you started to see all the reasons that people were very iffy about that, you know, because there was just such a lack of refinement as, as he played more and more snaps and you saw just sort of, you know, it, it, again, the reason it reminded me of Gary is that, you know, it seemed like the plan was just to run through the offensive tackle a, a lot of the time. And, you know, at some, at some point you're going to need to do a lot more than that. So, you know, Rashawn Gary, it took a couple of years, but he added pass rush moves. He figured out how to use his, you know, really unique athletic gifts to, to work off of offensive tackles and, and kept coming along. But, you know, I think that might be a two-year process. Um, we'll see. Hopefully Trayvon Walker, you know, if he if he could just take a step forward and he got six or seven snap, sacks this year, um, in addition to, you know, being a heavy presence against the run, I, I think that would go a really long way for this team. And then, you know, Josh Allen, you know, he, he certainly has more um, that he could give. I mean, Josh Allen, I think, is a, a certainly a good player, but I have him as kind of a plus player. Um, his length always makes him really intriguing, but he's never really broken out and been uh, any sort of a dominant player, right, for the Jacksonville Jaguars. So it, it, I think this defense, their likely or, or probably their better case outlook is, is average. Like, I, I don't 
I'd be really surprised to see this defense be dominant in, in any sense of the word. Um, you know, but you know, there's, there's always surprises in the NFL season. Right. But uh, you know, I do think that this is a team that's going to have to keep uh, turning things over for another off season to really get themselves to where they want to be around Trevor Lawrence. But with so many things in place, uh, you know, there, there's reason to hope that that's going to happen. And then, so, all right. Um, and then to, to wrap things up here, uh, we got the, the X factor though, and that's Anton Harrison who could go a long ways in speeding up that rebuild. So, you know, I, a lot of the talk I've heard around Anton Harrison is there seems to be a lot of trepidation about him playing uh, out of the gates here. Right. Um, it, it's not, um, you know, I got to get a quick glimpse of Darnell Wright for Chicago, man, does that dude move smooth for a big man, but you know, it's people seem less enthused about Anton Harrison starting uh, uh, week one than maybe the, yeah, some of the optimism surrounding and Darnell Wright, but you know, setting that aside, um, I'm not going to try to, you know, look into the crystal ball for Anton Harrison, but you know, the reason he's the X factor is like, you know, obviously the worst case scenario is he's just, you know, not really getting it done for these first, uh, you know, six games, I believe it is for Cam Robinson. Maybe it's four um, that he's suspended and, you know, he's just out of the lineup at that point. Um, when Cam Robinson comes back, Walker little kicks over to right tackle and the Jaguars try to get by with that tackle tandem. And, you know, the left guard uh, position remains, um, in, in question and you're concerned about what happens if you have an entry at tackle uh the flip side of that is anton harrison comes out of the gates and he's a hit and uh yeah he's drafted in the first round that's yeah, certainly in the realm of possibility right so um if he is a hit out of the gate then i mean walker little becomes your swing tackle or you know i've heard um some talk i think daniel jeremiah over on move the six mentioned that he might move into left guard um, or, or maybe it was Bucky Brooks on move the six because he's down in Jacksonville uh, a good bit or has some tie-ins there. But um, in any case, Walker a little potentially moves to left guard. It just makes you so much better on the offensive line if Anton Harrison is, say, shoot, if he's your second or third best player on a line where Luke Fortner, um, you know, Brandon Scherf, and, you know, I guess you could throw Cam Robinson's name into the mix, could all kind of be in, in that group as, you know, maybe plus players uh, at the position. Or, yeah, I, I don't know. I'd have to think about that a little bit more, but you've got at least three solid offensive linemen. If you get uh, Anton Harrison to be a plus player for you, totally changes the trajectory for Jacksonville. And, you know, we saw that this team was up against the cap because uh, their limited moves in the offseason. I'm sure they would have liked to have done more. Uh, so it would go a really long way if they could, uh, you know, hit on a first round pick and start recap, uh, recouping uh, surplus cap value on, on Anton Harrison at right tackle as early as this year. Cause that would be huge uh, for the, their three to four year outlook here uh, cap wise, especially, you know, I'm going to assume that they're going to want to sign Trevor Lawrence to an extension at some point here. So always got to be looking for that surplus cap value to create that room in the future. Right. So, all right. So yeah, the, you know, the Jaguars projected for uh, 12 games favored and, and 9.58 expected wins. And, you know, as I started this, uh, when, I was doing this research I was going to pass on the Jaguars as well but you know first off a caveat on season-long win totals and everything uh season-long win totals and futures not everything but um because you have to make this bet in August and your money is going to be held uh until the end of the season and really if you want to get the jump on the win totals you've got to bet back in the spring that's a really long time for a bet to be held in terms of the return on investment on a bet now if you don't care about that and you're just betting for fun then season long win totals uh, go for it like you know absolutely nothing wrong with it try to get the best bets you can but if you are trying to be really serious about your gambling and honestly have like 
the best strategy. This doesn't make a ton of sense in most cases, because again, you're not getting, you know, I don't think any more of a perceived edge on the, um, the bet that you're making and you're tying up your money um, for months on end instead of for a weekend. And it slows down, you know, just the whole turnover rate. So, you know, again, I just want to throw that out there as a caveat that if you want to, if you're more of a fun, you know, make the NFL more entertaining better, then by all means, it's awesome to do season longs because then you have extra teams to cheer for, right? Or, you know, or against in some cases. So, uh, but if you're somebody who's looking to, you know, be a margins better and, and be shaving off the percentages and everything like that, then season long totals are probably not the way to go. Um, Anyway, with that disclaimer on here, uh, let's say we go over on the Jacksonville Jaguars. You know, I want to be like, I love being optimistic about this team. When you look at their schedule as well, it's tricky, right? So I do no, I do have this here. So um, because they're the uh, AFC South champs, they are three crossover games as, <laughs> at the number one. Talk about nasty here. They get the Chiefs. They get the Bills. They get the San Francisco 49ers as their number one teams. Um, So if you don't know, the way an NFL schedule is formed is you play six games in your division. You play four games against um an, another entire division in your conference. This year, it's the AFC North. You play four games against another entire division in the other conference. Um, That's where the Jaguars do have a little bit of a cushy uh, landing with the NFC South. And then you play three teams who were the uh, who had the same finish in their division as you did the year before. So the Jaguars draw, you know, some nasty ones with Kansas City, with uh, with Buffalo and, and with San Francisco. And you can see where with, you know, hey, if you get the NFC South, Tampa Bay won the NFC South. That, that's a pretty cushy draw. That's actually San, one of San Francisco's draws. So, um, you know, in, in any case, Jacksonville, um, I think that with the teams in the division and the possibility that the Titans just go completely off the tracks, that gives you six games that they're favored in right there off the bat. Um, they're favored against every team in the NFC South. Um, so that gets you right up to the, that 10. And then, yeah, it's going to be competitive against the AFC North. It's going to be competitive against those three teams I mentioned. But at the same time, I, I like the Jaguars to, you know, they probably don't win a perfect 10 out of those division games in the NFC South games I mentioned, but I think there's a pretty good chance they win eight or nine of those. And then I think that they're going to be competitive enough against the AFC North teams against those, uh, you know, other number one teams. Those will be measuring sticks for Jacksonville. If they can, you know, win a couple of those, I, th I think that they get over the nine and a half wins. So, well, you know, the over it's, uh, it's only got the minus 140 odds. So that's not great, but I think it would be very aggressive to go 10 over 10 and a half with Jacksonville 11 would, would be a lot of wins for them. Um, although I do have them favored in 12. So if you want to, if you want really want to get after it, that could be a fun way to play it. If you're playing on DraftKings, they've got a cool little crank where you can just change the win total, change your odds. So, um, so yeah, we'll go over, over the Jacksonville, over the Jacksonville Jaguars win total of nine and a half at minus 140 to go along with that under the Tennessee Titans, uh, seven and a half at, at plus 105. So, uh, that, that's it for the, uh, for Scooby football today. That's the AFC South preview. I'll be back with the NFC South preview tomorrow. Um, so, uh, be on the lookout for that. And, uh, you know, if you want more content, uh, you can always check out scubastefootball.com and, and the rest of the, uh, Scooby football, YouTube, uh, pod library and the podcast library as well, which is, uh, now, available on apple as well as spotify so uh thanks so much for tuning in uh if you can't tell i love talking nfl football and uh if you enjoy listening so much the better have a great day everyone